Today's scripture passage comes from the book of John, chapter 17, as we continue our series, The Prayer of Jesus. That could be found on page 903 in your pew Bible in front of you. And would you stand as we read God's word together, as we stand in reverence of the Lord. John chapter 17, I'll be reading 20 to 26. Jesus speaking here. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. Now, we're in this series of John chapter 17, and we're in the fourth of uh, the, uh, the requests that Jesus has made so far. And uh, so Jesus prayed, uh, to begin with, that he himself will be glorified. And it's an amazing thing. We've said this before, but it's just an amazing thing to think. Imagine yourself in a prayer meeting and you hear someone say, glorify me. Astonishing thing for someone to pray. And of course, it's a witness to the fact that Jesus is himself God, that he prays like that. Glorify me. Well, it's right for God to be glorified and therefore it's right that Jesus prays that he is uh, glorified. Well, the second uh, prayer request that he, he made uh, was that we, his disciples, would be kept, that we be preserved. Maybe you're going through a hard time right now. It's been a tough week. It's a tough year. And yet here we have in uh, the Bible um, evidence that, that the heart of God and the, and the, and the very um, focal point of Jesus' prayer is us and our preservation. He wants us in the world, but not of the world. That's not going to be easy. And so Jesus prays that we're kept, we're preserved, we're protected. Wonderful thing. And then as we saw last week, Jesus prays for our wholeness, that we be sanctified. And uh, there are lots of wrong ideas about how to go about um, getting more holy. And Jesus there taught that, that, that the, as we saw last week, that the biblical method of wholeness, that there's an internal transformation by the work of the Spirit, that we can't be holy apart from the power of God. But then when we have become a real Christian, now we have a responsibility. We can grow in holiness. And we looked at the biblical method of, uh, of holiness um, uh, last week. Well, now, as I say, we're in the fourth of these requests. And uh, this request, of course, is that we would be one. He's praying for Christian unity. It's the fourth of Jesus' requests, and it's the third of the large sort of main movements of the prayer. He prays for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those who will become Christians, that we'd all be one. 
Now, unity, it's such an important topic among Christians. There's so much disunity. But even more than that, at a personal level, it's easy to come to church and feel like you're being ignored. That no one notices that you're here. No one knows your name. And you, you feel like you're in a big crowd. And do they care? And are we really one? And how do I get connected? So at a personal level, it's so important we have this clear eye mind, what it really means for us to be one, to be united, to be a community. Obviously, community is about unity. How are we one? So at a personal level, but then also at a cognitive level, because this teaching of Jesus's has been frequently mistaught or misunderstood at least, particularly in the last 50 years or so in the church. The ecumenical idea is that what Jesus is praying for here is organizational unity. He's praying for some kind of you know, world church where all the committees would be together and everyone would be organized into one organization, one denomination. But as we'll see, that really isn't what Jesus is praying for at all. So it's important at a personal level that we would feel and really understand how to be connected and how you can be connected here at church and also that we understand what Jesus actually is praying uh, when he's praying uh, for unity. Well, if you're taking notes, there are three main elements of what Jesus is teaching here as we look at uh, this uh, theme of unity, these teaching in verses 20 to 23, and we'll look at 24 to 26 next week, but 20 to 23. And the three main elements, first of all, is this. He's praying, and as he's praying, he's defining what is real Christian uni- unity? He's defining it. He's making a definition. And as he defines it, he defines it very clearly. Verses 21, 22, and 23. So he says, verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And then verse uh, uh, 22, that they may be one even as we are one. And then uh, verse 23, I in them and you in me. So Jesus is defining what he means by Christian unity. And what he's saying is that it is analogous to, of course we're not exactly unified in this way that God himself, the Father and the Son is unified. It's not exactly the same, but it is analogous to, reflective of, The very unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That they will be one even as Father, you and I are one. Of course then it cannot be organizational unity. What we're talking about here is a spiritual unity. Indeed, uh, as theologians often say about this, a mystical union. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that they will be one, even as the Father and the Son are one. That's why Paul, in his uh, letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, which is really all about unity, he talks about how we are to maintain or keep the unity of the Spirit. For it is a spiritual union, a mystical union, like the way Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triunity, is one. 
Now, you may not be a Christian here. We often have people here who come to church to discover what the Bible says and want to find out more about Jesus. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't help me because I don't believe that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit can be one anyway. Isn't that three gods? Well, let me help you with that and perhaps help you as you're a Christian as well as you hear those kind of questions. It's important to make a distinction between what you can comprehend and what you can apprehend. It's a distinction that theologians often make in this regard. We obviously cannot comprehend absolutely and completely. We cannot have a comprehensive understanding of God. God is bigger than our minds. One philosopher once said that anyone who comprehends God in their mind is on the verge of becoming an atheist. Well, of course, God cannot fit in our minds. He's bigger by definition. He is God and we are not God. We cannot comprehend God in that sense. But we can apprehend God. We can understand. God has revealed himself in Christ, in his word. And we can understand that. It's not against our mind, but he is bigger than our mind. And this, of course, is why the Islamic idea of God's oneness is uh, so mistaken. It's really too small, the view of God. God is bigger than our minds. If we're worshiping God and we can fully comprehend who God is and his very nature and his essence, we have, of course, by definition, an idol. For we're making it up out of our own mind. Whoever would make up the idea of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Only, only could that be revealed to us. Because God is bigger than our mind. And it makes us bow down in worship at the triune God. His mystical union. You say, but one plus one equals three. Yes, of course, but we're worshiping God, and God is bigger than basic mathematics. We believe in an infinite God, and infinity plus infinity plus infinity is infinity. And we worship an infinite God who is mysteriously one and yet three. Well, Jesus is saying the same way there's a mystical union, a spiritual union that he's praying for that we would have. So it's not an organizational unity. It's a spiritual unity, the unity of the spirits, as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. But having said it is spiritual and a mystical union, that doesn't mean it's not real. Of course it's real. You know, I think one of the greatest privileges of my life, the greatest experiences of my life, has been traveling around the world and meeting other Christians. Christians who worship differently than we do, who look different than I, than I, from, than, than I look, who have a different language, a different culture, and yet we're one. And you just know it. You meet a Christian, you know you're one, one in spirit. It's real. And then conversely, you sometimes, you know, someone will come up to you after church or something like that, and they'll say, you know, I'm a good Baptist, or I'm a good Presbyterian, or I'm a good Anglican. And you think, do they? And yet someone else will come up to you and say, wasn't, wasn't that song glorious when we're praising the name of the Father? Wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't it wonderful that we can actually just re we can read the Bible? That, that John 17, I love the Bible. And, and you know that you're one. 
one in spirit. Spiritual union. So that's the first thing Jesus is teaching. He's defining real spiritual, real Christian unity as unity of the spirit or a mystical union analogous to, not exactly like, of course, but analogous to the union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the Trinity, the triunity. But then also as he prays, he teaches how we become one and therefore how we can further our experience of unity. And there are two ways that he teaches that we become one. So verse 20, he says this. This is, if you like, the method and not the definition. He says, verse 20, I do not ask for these only. So this is the third section when he's praying now for those who will become uh, Christians I, uh, through the witness, uh, our witness, the witness of the disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, they also may be in us. Through, verse 20, through their word. As we saw last week, by the word in this chapter, Jesus means what he describes in verses 6 through to 8, which is the teaching of the Father. He says, verse 6, you, you, the word that your word they have kept, verse 6. And then he says, verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And now he's saying it's their word. So they've heard from Jesus, the teaching of God, now recorded in the scriptures, as we looked at last week, how Jesus Jesus confirms the authority of the Old Testament and prophesies and predicts and, and, and inspires by the Spirit the, the teaching of the New Testament scriptures. Now they have the word to speak. It is now in a sense their word. We have a message. We have a gospel. And we teach the word. We listen to the word. And that's how we become one. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. You put your faith in Christ when you hear the word and you, you join this union of his body. And it's also how our unity is furthered and developed. So Paul in that uh, Ephesians chapter five when he's teaching so much about unity, he, he talks about the, the unity of the spirit to maintain that and then he describes all the different gifts, particularly though in that passage, the gifts that are word gifts, teaching gifts. They're all word gifts and then he says towards the end of that chapter, he says that they might grow up together more and more unity and maturity as they speak the truth in love to one another. Word As we speak from the pulpit, as we speak the word to each other, we develop and grow in uh, unity. But you see, we can mess it up. We can go above the word and start emphasizing in primary position what is only secondary or tertiary. Our preferences, our stylistic issues or concerns. And this, you know, Paul in his letters to the Corinthians, which is a very disunited church, the Corinthians were all about their preferences. I, you know, one says, I prefer Paulus. Another says, I prefer Paul. Another says, I prefer Kephas, you know, Peter. All about preferences, all this stuff on top, the stylistic stuff, the preferential stuff. We can go above the word and that threatens our unity. It, It makes us feel more disunited. But, by, but on the other way, we can actually go underneath the word too. You know, one of the, the great motto of this church, which is an, the great ancient motto of, of the ancient church, which is in essentials, unity, 
Uh, in non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Wonderful motto. But what it doesn't mean is doctrine doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. Oh, it does matter. You, you can go underneath the word too. Um, you're not united to someone who doesn't believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God. You're not united to that person. You're not united to someone who doesn't believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third, the third day. Physical resurrection, you're not united to that person. So there needs to be a, a union around the word of God, the word of Christ. It's so important we emphasize that today because there's so much confusion about what the Bible does actually teach. And a lot of that is, I think, down to the internet in many ways. So many unusual, strange, simply wrong ideas on the internet. And so we need to look into the Bible, not just believe everything we read or, or watch on the internet, that it, somehow it's true. You know, I saw a, a meme the other day on the internet, like a little quotation. And it, it said this, you know, quotation marks, don't believe everything you read on the internet, end quotation marks, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> but we need to stick to the word. The word. And then we're united, not above or underneath. But there's another way that we are united and therefore preserve and maintain and develop our unity that Jesus also teaches here, and that's in verse 22. So he says here, the glory, get this, this is just amazing. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that's us, that that, so that, this is what it's doing, that they may be one, even as we are one. Well, what does he mean by that? Quite simply, he means the work of the Spirit in us. So the glory in John's gospel that Jesus has it's the glory of being fully God and fully man. John chapter 1 says, we have all seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Tabernacled or dwelt among us, that is, in Jesus as fully God and fully man. There was the glory of God dwelling. And that glory is finally and fully revealed as we go through John's gospel now towards the end. Paradoxically, counterintuitively, at the cross. He died for the sins of the world, then rose again, ascended on high, and is now in glory, the God-man. Now, that's the glory that Jesus has. And that glory, he says, he's given to them, that is, to us. What does he mean by that? He means the work of the Spirit. John 14 to 17, it's all sometimes called the farewell discourse, that is, the, the last sermon that Jesus gave before he went to the cross. And in chapters 14 to 16, Jesus is... And, over and over again, emphasizing the work of what he calls the counselor, the work of the spirit that he's going to give to us. So we have the spirit of God, the, the glory of God, God himself in some mysterious way, if we're Christians, dwelling in us. And if you're not yet a Christian, let me urge you to seek him and ask him that you might have his spirit, that you might have that glory dwelling in you. And of course then we're united because we're united in, in God through the work of the spirit and we're united to him. We become the body of Christ. As Paul puts it in his letter to the Colossians, he, he describes how Christ 
in you, the spirit of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. For we have the glory of God in us by his spirit and it's the down payment, the promise that one day in heaven we'll be fully experiencing the glory. But we have that glory now that he has given to us by his spirit. And if, you know, we can mess up the word by going above the word or underneath the word, similarly, we can grieve the work of the Spirit that can lead to disunity. And this, again, the Corinthian church that was, you know, like got an A in disunity. The Corinthian church did this often. It's pushing forward their gifts. You know, my gift is better than your gift. I, my gift is more important. No, my gift is more important. The self Assertion, whereas the work of the Spirit, the way we emphasize and maintain the unity of the Spirit, is by the work of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, having the character of Christ, by the Spirit of Christ love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self control. And all this furthers our union through the Word. And the Spirit. So Jesus here is teaching about the unity that his people he's praying for would have. He defines union as a spiritual union. And uh, then he teaches how that union happens and therefore how we can further it through the Word and the Spirit. Well, lastly, he also here is uh, telling us about the effects, the impact of that, uh, of that union. The effects, the impact of that union. Look at what he says here. It's really quite remarkable. Verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Or a little bit early in the passage as well. Verse 21. So that they also may be in us and one. And then the second half of verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's a mission to unity. That's the effect. Now, Jesus is not saying, of course, that if you know, we just sit around together and you know, sing kumbaya and hold hands around a campfire, then everyone in the whole world will believe that Jesus is God. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that the way we love one another is a powerful way, powerful avenue for the people to see that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. You know, this, uh, this ha- had a big impact on my own life. I, um, when I was 18, I went up to Cambridge University as an undergraduate. First, you know, just going up there, turning up, and you know what 18-year-olds are like. On the outside, really confident. And inside, really insecure. There I was, you know, I was 18-year-old, turned up to Cambridge, you know. On the outside, really confident. Inside, really, really nervous. And uh, my background, theologically, the, the church within which I was converted is, is the Anglican Church in England, Reformed Anglican, so John Stott, J.I. Packer, that, that sort of thing. And I went to the church that was within that theological stream at, church, uh, at Cambridge. It's a church uh, called, uh, uh, was called at the time the Round Church because it was in a round uh, shape 
And um, back in the 11th century, churches in England were, were, were built like that. I, sometimes when people tell me that College Church is an old church, I kind of smile because as an undergraduate, I went to a church that was founded in 1042. So, you know, there you go. And um, anyway, there I was at the Round Church, and it was a, a big student church. You know, it's a bunch of people, a lot of energy, you know, and we, we'd been to the worship service, and outside, I was standing at the back outside, and the vicar, man, uh, the minister, a man called Mark Ruston, he's died now, but he, he was the minister at the time, and as I was standing at the back there, you know, outside, very confident, inside, really insecure. Standing at the back there, he looked me right in the eye, Josh. I'm so glad you come to Cambridge. That was it. I was in. You know, I actually found out years later when I started doing ministry myself and got to know some of the stories about this great and godly man that it wasn't that he was just so brilliant with the names. He had a method to it, and it's kind of an interesting method. His method was, after every Sunday, he'd write down a bunch of note cards, index cards, of all the people he'd met if he didn't know their names, but he'd write little descriptors of them, you know, on the note cards. It'd be like, you know, big nose, funny hairline, that kind of thing. And then the next morning, Monday morning, he'd share his index cards. There'd be a whole stack of them with his staff. He'd be like, okay, big nose, funny hairline. Anyone know who that is? And someone would say, that's Bill. So, okay, Bill. And then, but, you know, it was also next week he'd go, Josh, so glad you're at Cambridge. Now, that's church. You know, church is not just about coming to church and singing some songs and hearing a sermon. Yeah, that's, that's, of course, is important, you know. But church is much more than that. Church is about, oh, that guy over there, I haven't seen him for a few weeks. I should go up and check out how he's doing. Hey, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Are you okay? How's it going? That's church. Churches, oh, that, that person in the back there looks a little sad. I should just wander up to them and just say, hey, you, know, you had a good week. Or is there anything you need to talk about? That's church. Churches, you know, that person walked out and I didn't get a chance to say hello to them. But I, I, I need to follow up that person this week. Can you just knock on their door or send them a note or something like that? That's, that's, that's church. For it is expressing our union the very glory of Christ. So Jesus here is teaching about unity. He's defining it as a spiritual unity. He's telling us that it is through the word, neither above or underneath. The glory, the spirit of Christ in us as we become born again and therefore connected to one another. And then the mission of that, the impact of that, which of course urges us to love each other and care for each other and therefore point to the very glory of Jesus. Let's pray then together. Our Lord God, we do thank you that you pray for us in this way, and it is so encouraging to us to have an insight into your heart, into your mind for us. And on this Sunday in particular, Lord, we do pray for this unity for which you prayed. We thank you, Lord, that your prayer was answered, that we are one in you. There is this spiritual union. And yet, Lord, we also know that uh, we are urged to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
And we pray that we would do that through sticking to your word, neither going above or underneath it. We pray, Lord, that we do that through the work of the Spirit and not self-asserting ourselves or bitterness or anger or jealousy and pushing forward our gifts, but instead having the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, so much at work in us that we, we increase the bond of peace that binds us together. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we will be active in this the, because of the effects of this union on, on really the whole world, that we will be a church where people know each other, where they care for each other, where we, where we reach out to each other in love. For you loved us, Lord. Oh, Lord, by your Spirit, would you pour out your love upon this church? Would you assure them of your love for them? And therefore, as an expression of that love, would they be a church that loves as they have been loved? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.